Hey, this is Pastor Allen. I'm the lead pastor here at First Baptist Church of Naples, and we are so happy that you have chosen to join us as we go through God's Word together. God's doing some amazing things here, and we pray that God's Word will transform you from the inside out. Our mission here is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ of all peoples. And our hope is, is that you are being a disciple that makes disciples. Now, if you don't have a church home, we would love for you to join us either in person or continuing online as we go into God's Word together every week. But if you are a member of another church, we don't want this to be in any way, shape, form, or fashion a substitute for you being connected to your local body. So our prayer is, is that God uses His Word to change you and to change others. So we pray that God will use you and this message for His glory. Have a great day. Amen. Let's all stand as we read Isaiah chapter 7. In verse 14, Isaiah 7, verse 14, the Holy Spirit says through the prophet Isaiah, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name, everybody together, Emmanuel. Now, Matthew chapter 1, if you don't have a, you follow the screen behind me, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way, when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you should call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet Isaiah, saying, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, everybody with me, Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. You may be seated. How many of you like to wait. <laughs> Human beings categorically do not like to wait. I don't like to wait, and I would assume you don't like to wait. We want instant gratification. We want our problems to be solved quickly. We want responses to our questions or emails or text message to be given promptly, and we want traffic to move fast. Amen. If you're from the South, which the further South you get in Florida, the less South you are, <laughs> you probably maybe have heard this saying, it's as slow as Christmas. Now that can be used to give the idea that since Christmas only comes around once a year, you have to wait for it. And so you have to wait 364 days if you start on December 26, for Christmas, it comes slowly. But there's just something about the tradition of Christmas that involves waiting. As a child, uh, maybe you remember your childhood, you waited anxiously for Christmas because uh, that is the day that you open your presents. And so you waited, and your parents brought all these packages and wrapped them and put them under the tree, and you, you picked them up, you shook them, you tried to figure out what was inside of them, and you waited anxiously for the day that you can open them. Well, as believers, our entire Christian life is waiting, and it's anticipating. 
Not for Jesus to come, but for Jesus to return. And often in our waiting, we begin to wonder, well, is really what God has promised, is it going to come to pass? Because waiting is difficult. As the great theologian Tom Petty said, the waiting is the hardest part. And yet the reality is, and this is something I'm learned and are learning and I'm trying to teach my kids, is that the, the longer you wait for something, the more you appreciate it when you get it. Well, we've been going through the songs of Christmas, looking at familiar Christmas carols. We looked at what child is this, and then last week, joy to the world. And today, we're looking at the song, the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. It is the oldest Christmas song that we sing. It comes from the 12th century, or actually from the 1200s, of the 13th century. It was written by a monk, but we don't know who it is, uh, don't know his name, and it was written in Latin. The original language, uh, the line is Vini Vini Emmanuel. Uh, Emmanuel with an E because that is from the Greek. Uh, the I comes from the Hebrew. And so if you ever write Emmanuel with an I, that's kind of the Hebraic expression with an E, the, the Greek expression. But the 1200 ADs, if you're familiar with that time of history, and I'm sure many of you are, uh, it was a time of the Crusaders. There were days of religious wars, great ignorance spiritually, and evil often that masquerade as piety. The Bible was very inaccessible to the common people. Uh, there was the Latin Vulgate at that time, and there was a few other translations, but most people really didn't have access to that in their vernacular, their common day tongue, or they had to know Greek, Hebrew, or Latin. And yet, whoever wrote the hymn, O Come, O Come, was pretty well-versed in Scripture. And as we read through the, the text of the hymn, you'll, you'll note that there's a lot of Old Testament prophecies that speak of the coming of the Messiah. The song is written with that first-century angst, uh, longing for the coming of Emmanuel. Now, the song was written in the 1200s, but it was lost for about 600 years of history until it was found in the 1800s or the 19th century by the Anglican priest John Neal, and, and then it was put to a tune in 1851, uh, set to music by Thomas Helmore. Now, I know that this is really exciting for many of you in this room, but what you have to understand is that this particular hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is different than Joy to the World and different than Hark the Herald Angel Sings. It is not a lullaby like Away in the a Manger. It is a, a song that has longing in it, a song that has waiting and, and hoping and yearning in it. There, there's a tension in this song. It's a tension that Christians feel. Again, as it was written from that first century perspective, waiting and longing for the Savior to come, it's also saying today with that waiting and longing expectation, the tension of the already and not yet, that Jesus has come, but he's not yet fully come. John Piper says that the Christian life oscillates between two poles, the overflowing joy of the already redeemed and the tearful yearning of the not yet redeemed. Yes, Christ has come, but this world is still broken. Yes, Christ has come to save us, but yet there is evil amok. And so as you go through the text of most Christian hymns, you'll find that tension, the, the real world sorrow, but also the joy. And the psalm tells us to rejoice. And so what this song teaches us, what the scriptures that we read teach us, is it teaches us the meaning of Emmanuel and the ministry of Emmanuel so that we can rejoice as we long for Emmanuel to return. So let's just unpack that 
And let's see what God has to say to us today. Number one, I want you to see the meaning of Emmanuel. Who is Emmanuel? Well, going to Matthew's text, verse 18, Matthew, after giving us the genealogy of Jesus, now gets us into the birth story. And in verse number 18, he says that the birth of Jesus Christ took place this way. The word Christ is the word Messiah, the anointed one. It's not Jesus' last name, okay? Jesus' last name would probably Jesus bar Joseph, uh, probably in that day. But the, Matthew here, what he's doing is he's giving us the personal background of real people in real time, in real space, in a real place. In other words, this is not Greek mythology. This is not Anakin Skywalker that was born in a galaxy far, far away. No, what you have to understand is that even though it was 2,000 years ago, these are real people who had real lives. And when Jesus entered into their life, it changed their lives forever. You have this boy named Joseph and this girl named Mary. They were betrothed. The Hebrew tradition was Kedeshim. Kedeshim was when a young man and a young woman were legally married. They were betrothed. There was an engagement period. As a matter of fact, she was legally Joseph's wife. But the tradition of Kedeshim, this betrothal process, was a year. And it was a year in which they were legally married, but they were not allowed to live together, not allowed to consummate the marriage, and not allowed to sleep together. And why was that? Why would this year period? Well, one, it would be a year to prove the purity of the young girl. It would also be a year for the groom to provide a house, to make a living, to get a job, and to provide for the family so that when they are married, they can go on and start a family and move on into adulthood. And so in this moment, a young girl named Mary and Joseph were living their lives. Don't get the idea that they had any preconceived thought that this was going to come into their lives. They were legal married, and the only way out of this Kiddushin was divorce or death. And so Luke tells us that Mary gets the news first. She's wherever she was in Nazareth, and the angel Gabriel comes to her and says, Mary, fear not. You're going to have a baby, and the baby's going to be the savior of the world. Now, Mary was a young girl, maybe 13, 14, 15, and in her mind, she knew something. She knew that it takes two to tango. And so the angel is going to explain that the baby inside of you is going to be conceived by the Holy Spirit, and the baby inside of you is going to be God in you. Now, that's pretty incredible news. So imagine you're Mary. You were expecting to marry Joseph and live happily ever after in Nazareth. And now you, this young girl, have to tell Joseph the news. Could you imagine what that would have been like? Would you mind being a fly in the wall just kind of to hear? Well, how did that go down? Well, Mary comes to Joseph and says, honey, I've got some news. She says, you better sit down. So he says, she says, I, I, an angel appeared to me last night, told me I was pregnant. So Joseph, I'm pregnant. And Joseph's like, you're pregnant. So the natural question that Joseph's going to have is, well, who's the daddy? Mary says, God, the Holy Spirit, an immaculate conception. And Joseph says, yeah, I'm sure. And he probably also gave you a pet unicorn, right? Listen, could you imagine that moment? It seems surreal. I mean, maybe you're new to church or maybe this is your first time hearing this story. And you're like, that just seems cuckoo. Well, it really was cuckoo, okay? It was completely miraculous, completely unknown. It was something that would be absolutely stupendous. And it would, be, it would take a lot to believe that. 
But what you notice about Joseph and his character is he was a good guy. And he could have legally had Mary stoned on the streets and left for dead. He could have had her publicly humiliated. But instead, he decides to divorce her quietly, to do it secretly, without any shame, without any humiliation for both. He was going to live his life. She could go live her life, carry the baby, have the baby, and figure out what she was going to do next. So as Joseph had kind of made that plan in his mind, the Lord comes to him in a dream. He's asleep. And the angel says, don't be afraid to marry Mary. She's a good girl, and the baby inside of her is conceived by the Holy Spirit. It's God inside of her. The baby inside of her is the promised Messiah, the Savior of the world. And Joseph, you're going to be the earthly father. You're going to be responsible to take care of the baby. And the angel says, here's the name of the baby. The name of the baby is Jesus. You shall call his name Jesus. Why would the angel tell Joseph that? Because it was the father's job, the husband's job to name the child. Now, the name Jesus was a common first century name. It was from the Hebrew, Yahshua. Uh, Jehovah saves. And, and in that day, particularly, your names are very important. So your name revealed your character or, or spoke into your character or your destiny. And so for, for his name to be Jesus spoke of his destiny, spoke of his character. I mean, my name, Alan, is Gaelic. And uh, it means intelligent and handsome. Which I think is absolutely appropriate. And somebody's having a fit over there. It's my destiny. Well, Jesus here is Yahshua. He is God saves us. Why? Because he's not just any kid. He is God with us to save us. And so this goes on and the Matthew, the writer, says that all of this took place in verse 22 to fulfill that was, spo was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Some 700 years before the dream, 700 years before the conception, 700 years before Bethlehem, a prophet named Isaiah came to a king named Ahaz, told him that God was with him and God wanted to give him a sign. But Ahaz, who was really not believing in God, who wasn't a godly king, who was under the threat of of, uh, of attack from other nations and was afraid. God says to Ahaz, hey, ask for a sign. I'll give you a sign. It's a guarantee that I'm with you. God says, don't worry, Ahaz. Trust in me. And Ahaz says, no, I don't, I don't want a sign from the Lord. I don't need a sign. I'm not worthy of a sign. I don't want to test God. But Ahaz really wasn't sincere. He was a fraud. He was a phony. He's like one of those Christmas presents that uh, has all the nice wrapping and all the nice bows and nothing inside, like the things you see at the shopping stores. Well, here Ahaz, the reason why he didn't want a sign from God is because he didn't want to be revealed as an idiot or as a hypocrite because he'd already made an alliance with the wicked king of Assyria. And so God says, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. You don't want to trust me? Well, I'm going to give you a sign. And that sign is, is that a, a young woman is going to have a child and that child is going to be the sign to you that I'm with you, that, I, that he is Emmanuel. And so uh, a few days later, a few months later, uh, Isaiah the prophet who gave this prophecy to Ahaz, he and his wife have a baby, and that baby is going to be known as Emmanuel. And that was a sign that despite 
the king trusting in God, God was with the king. And so God fulfills his promise. And so the promise that God gave in Isaiah 7 also pointed to another king and another sign. And it was a fulfillment of the promise given to Isaiah that God would fulfill in the person of Jesus to Joseph and to you and I today that a virgin, Mary, will conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. And so the promise given Isaiah 7, 700 years before Jesus, was not some promise of a historical event of the birth of a baby. It was that God would become a baby. That the infinite God would become an infant. And so what does it mean? What does Emmanuel mean? Emmanuel simply means God with us. We sing it. We say it. You talk about it. Some of you name your kids that. What does it mean? It means God with us. It means that God became a human being. He took on flesh and blood. It's not God next to us. It is God with us. Not man that has got God infused in him, but a baby conceived by the Holy Spirit that developed nine months in Mary's womb, passed through her birth canal into the world, was indeed God. That's a divine, that's a, it's a mystery. It seems mythological. It seems unbelievable. But yet it's true. John chapter one, verse 14. John puts it this way. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh. God became flesh. Now, don't get the idea that the second member of the Trinity, Jesus, was created at Christmas. God wasn't born at Christmas. What you have is the second member of the Trinity, Jesus Christ, the son of God, came into the world as Christ at Christmas. That word incarnation comes from the Latin incarnate, in flesh, that at the incarnation, the Son of God became what he was not without ceasing to be who he was. That he was truly man without ceasing to be fully God. That he became a human being, a human being that took naps, who knew pain, who got hungry, who had to be cared for by his father and his mother became a human so that he could do the most ungodlike thing possible, die. Because how else could God die? How would you kill God? So he became like us, vulnerable and killable. In the 90s, there was a song by a lady by the name of Joan Osborne. She, she writes in her lyrics, what if God were one of us, just a slob like one of us? just a stranger on the bus trying to make his way home. Now, her theology is horrible because God's not a slob. But the reality is, is that God did become one of us so that he could do for us what we could not do for ourselves. Emmanuel is God with us. Jesus is God with us. He is the image of the invisible God, the radiance of the glory of God, and the exact representation of his being. Jesus took everything there is to know about God and put it on display for all to see. He is the complete revelation of God himself in a language that you and I can understand. And so without Jesus being Emmanuel, we would have no way of knowing who or what God is like. So what does Emmanuel mean? What's the meaning of Emmanuel? What's God with us? Secondly, what's the ministry of Emmanuel? What did he come to do? And here's where we get into the song. Here are the lyrics. Number one, O come, O come, Emmanuel, 
and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appears. Jesus came, Emmanuel, to ransom the spiritually exiled. Now, that word ransom means to make a payment in exchange of for the release of a prisoner. So if, if someone's been kidnapped, you make a ransom payment and, you, and, and for the ransom is given in exchange for the person. Maybe you are familiar with the story of what took place Monday. Brittany Griner, who's a WNBA player, former WNBA player, was imprisoned in Russia for the possession of drugs. And she was given a harsh sentence in prison. And yet Monday, after uh, quite a lot of pressure put on by the public media and by so many people, celebrities, uh, and the, the United States government, uh, through diplomatic channels, <clears throat> brokered a deal with the Russian government that on Monday she was released and brought back to the United States. And uh, for the, her release, for her ransom, the Russian government requested that in exchange for Brittany Griner, they would get Victor Bout. Now, there's a movie about Victor Bout. Uh, Victor Bout was known as the Merchant of Death. He sold weapons to terrorists to kill Americans. And so she, Brittany Griner, was, was released in exchange for Victor Bout, the Merchant of Death. Now, I want you to understand that we are not ransomed by the merchant of death. We're ransomed by the giver of life. And his name is Jesus. And so the hymn writer here is speaking of ransom and he is referring to the Bible when it speaks about the, the problem of all humanity, that all humanity is spiritually exiled from God, that because of our sins, we are spiritually detained from the presence of God. And yet Jesus has come to be our ransom, to bring us to God and to free us from the bondage of sin and the eternal wrath of God. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. See, Jesus didn't come so that we would serve him. Jesus came so that he would serve us. Jesus serves us by giving his life for us. He paid the price. He gave himself in exchange of us. He substituted himself so that he gets hell and we get heaven. He gets bondage, the bondage of our sins, and we get the freedom of his life. He died not only for us, but he died instead of us. And so the song is singing, praying to God that he would send Emmanuel to ransom the captives in exile. But not only ransom, but rescue. O come thou rod of Jesse, free thine own from Satan's tyranny. From depths of hell, your people save and give them victory or the grave. Jesus has come to rescue those who are spiritually enslaved. The, the word rod of Jesse comes from Isaiah chapter 11, in which the Bible says that there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a root from and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Now, a stump, if you're not familiar with what a stump is, a stump is a dead tree. Uh, many of you that have what you call live Christmas trees are really dead Christmas trees. They're dead. If you don't believe me, wait a few months. You'll see that they're dead. There is no connection to life. Well, here, out of the dead stump, out of obscurity, out of distress, out of weakness, a king, a, a shoot, a, a branch will come. And he'll save the world. Well, that's Jesus, right? Out of obscurity, out of nowhere, Jesus came. And Jesus came to rescue his people. 
not through military might or political prowess, but through dying on the cross for them. And that seems a strange way to save the world. How can we have victory through death? But yet that's always been God's plan. God's plan was always so that, that he would become a man so that he could die. I mean, think about this. Why would Jesus have to become a man? Well, if Jesus had become a man, then he couldn't die. Like I said earlier, how are you going to kill God? You can't throw stones. You can't throw a bomb at him. If God wanted to, he could say, boo, and we would all be blown to oblivion. You don't, you, how do you kill God unless he becomes a man? And how can he represent us unless he becomes a man? But yet the greater question is, well, why did he die? Hebrews chapter two tells us, since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That because we're flesh and blood, he became flesh and blood. Because we are vulnerable and killable, he became vulnerable and killable. That through death, his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, the devil, and deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Do you understand that the greatest fear of mankind is death? We're enslaved to it. Sigmund Freud, who, who had occasional nuggets of wisdom sandwiched between mountains of nonsense, said that the fear of death dominates both our conscience and our subconscious. Now think about it. On one hand, we kind of maybe have a death wish because we see how maybe we feel bad or we feel bad about ourselves. We have this guilt or maybe we're not living up to expectations. And so we say, well, it would be better if I was gone. But on the other hand, we're completely terrified of death because we think it's the end of everything. It's the great unknown. And so we try to repress those, those fears. See, death is terrifying because we feel like it's the end. This is why people have the pressure to try to experience everything they can right now. I mean, about 10 years ago, there was a, a phrase that said YOLO, you only live once. And so we gotta do whatever we can. You heard of the bucket list. You gotta do everything on your bucket list before you kick the bucket. People today panic. They look in the mirror, they see, like I told you last week, they look in the mirror, they see that they're aging and they, they recognize their, that their aging is the process of dying. All of us in this room are dying. And we don't want to think about that. And so we'll think of a new diet or we'll think of a, of a new health regimen or we'll think of some sort of fitness program or, or we'll just go and spend a lot of money on plastic surgery. Let me just tell you something. Everybody knows you've had plastic surgery if you've had it. Lips are not normally that big. Noses don't look that straight. I mean, we know. And those things will be with you in your grave. I mean, you'll have a great smile on your face, <laughs> but it's fake. Because you can't, you can't stop the dying process. People also, because of death, are obsessed with leaving a legacy. And so they make all kinds of money. So they think they can leave it to their kids. They're just going to blow it. Or they try to get this job or this status or some sort of, some sort of acclamation or some sort of position in life. But yet, most people are motivated by the fear that happens of what comes after death. Consciously or subconsciously. Jesus came from a dead stump to free his people from the fear of death by his death and resurrection. When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated Satan's greatest weapon, which was death itself. 
He conquered death by his death. And since Jesus lived a life and died a death and defeated death, he removes the fear of death for all who trust in him. That's why Paul writes, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he's come to set us free. Another verse in the hymn says, come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirit by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadow put to flight. The word day spring comes from Luke 178. It's speaking of the sunrise. Jesus came to bring light to our dark world. You know why a lot of people come to Florida in the winter? It's to get away from the death shadow of the north. The gloom, the gloomy clouds. Have you ever heard of seasonal affective disorder? Sad. They come down here because they want to get away from the sadness. Why? Because we're the sunshine state, right? We're the sunshine state. I mean, people don't leave here and go to Seattle <laughs> unless they have to. They move from Seattle to here. They come from Michigan to here, right? Now, I'm not making fun of Seattle or Michigan. And I'm definitely not going to say anything about UCLA. Especially after last night. But Jesus has come to take the sad, gloomy clouds of the night and death's dark shadow to flight. You know, on March the 2nd, 1791, John Wesley, the famous preacher, hymn writer, and founder of the Methodist Church, at the age of 88, on his deathbed with family and friends around him, his dying words were this. He raised his arms to the sky and says, the best of all is that God is with us. And then he died. He wasn't afraid of death because Jesus dispersed the gloomy clouds and put death's dark shadow to flight. Jesus, Emmanuel, came to ransom, to rescue, and to restore, to restore the spiritually emaciated. Oh, come thou key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe the way that leads on high and close the path to misery. This key of David comes from Isaiah 22, 22 and Revelation 3, 7. Jesus in Revelation holds the keys of death and hell. He has the key of heaven. He rescues us from hell and he locks the door behind us. And then he unlocks the door of heaven and brings us safely home. Jesus is both the key and the door. I don't know if you've been watching the newest, latest, greatest technology, but now you have it to where you don't need a key because the door is the key and the key is the door. Well, long before that technology, there was Jesus who is both the key and the door. He is the way in and he's the only way in. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus takes us from our misery and leads us safely home. Now, the question is this, where is home? Now, I say that I'm from Kentucky. Pastor Thomas says he's from Louisiana. But yet, 
we're from there and we maybe feel at home there, but it's not our home. And so you say, well, our, my home is here in Naples. His home is here in Naples. Your home is here in Naples or Lee County or wherever. But home is not just where you sleep at night. Home is, some people say, is where the heart is or where you hang your hat. But I want you to understand that the reality is this. Those things are just mirages of your real home. Because home is where God is. See, would you still want to go to heaven if Jesus wasn't there? I mean, if your friends were there, your family was there, there's gates of pearl and streets of gold. You know, that's the thing about the world. The world's view of heaven is, is, is it really is, is that. It's a family reunion with no pain, a mansion, and an all-you-can-eat buffet. I mean, you get the best golden corral without getting sick. And what we've made heaven about is most people make heaven about themselves, not Jesus. Because you imagine if you have all your family, all your friends, streets of gold, mansion on a beach or mansion on a mountain, all you can eat, whatever you want, but no Jesus. That wouldn't be heaven. That would be hell. You know why? Stay with me on this one. Because you can have all those things and you'll never be satisfied. Because you were not made for those things. You were made for Jesus. And your heart will be restless until you find your rest in him. What makes heaven heaven is God is with us and we are with God. That was the plan of creation. Do you understand that God stood on the platform of nothing and spoke everything into existence and for six, five days created so many things and on the sixth day created you. And he created you for this one purpose, to glorify him and enjoy him forever. And that only comes by being with him and he being with us. And so the plan of creation was for God to be with us. But the problem is we chose not to be with God. We chose to do our thing rather than his thing. And because of that, we suffer the consequences. And so the whole story of the Bible is how God has come to be with us so that we can be with him. And that's what makes heaven heaven is that's where God is. We read this last week, but I'll read it again. Revelation 21, three, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Home is where Jesus is. And that's why he came. So let's end. The whole story of Christmas is about a bridge. It's a bridge that reaches all the way down to humanity and all the way up to divinity with no gaps in between. Who's the bridge? What's the bridge? Jesus is the bridge. Jesus became a man to reach all the way down to humanity, but he was also God so that we, with him, can reach all the way up to divinity. See, we can come to God because God 
came to us. And here's what you have to understand, that we can have access to God, not on the basis of who we are, but we have access to God because of who is with us, Jesus. Uh, I didn't really wanna tell you this story, but tell it to you anyway. As you may not be aware of, I am a diehard True Blue Kentucky fan. I know that's shocking. It's like the greatest surprise. And by God's grace, I have had a lot of opportunities to go to a lot of games at Rupp Arena. I don't know how. I mean, even for two years, I had press credentials and sat pretty much anywhere in the arena. And we stunk, but I had good seats. One of the places I've always wanted to go, but my press credentials and other things could not allow me to go into is to the locker room in Rupp Arena. I always just wanted to see it. And on my own, as great of a Kentucky fan that I am, that is not enough to get you access to the locker room. And so a few years ago, two or three years ago, a friend of mine who's an assistant coach for the women's team, uh, she gave me and a friend of mine free tickets to the game. We were playing Mississippi State. And she also gave me all access to the locker room in Rupp Arena. And I knew this was going to come. She, she, I mean, I knew she told me this. And so for weeks, I knew that this was going to happen. And, and so she said, here's what I need you to do. At halftime of the Mississippi State game, I want you to come down because the team at, during the game has a different locker room than the, the locker room that, that they do before the game. And, and, and so she says, I want you to meet me down at halftime at this particular spot. I'll meet you there and I will get you into the locker room to see. And also in the locker room is the championship trophy from 2012, 10 years ago, which it might be another 10 years before we win another one. And so for weeks, I kind of waited with anticipation, finally get to Rupp Arena and get to the game. And, and I'm watching the first half with, with just longing anticipation, excitement. Hey, I'm going to finally get to it. They were playing, like I said, Mississippi State. I think Kentucky at halftime was up like four or five, but about three minutes to go at the, towards the, before halftime, one of the guys from Mississippi State gets hurt. And there we are, I have to delay again. And I'm sitting there and it was a long injury. And I, I mean, listen, I was praying for that boy's healing, okay, because I was ready to go. I mean, I almost went down and laid hands on him, but I knew if I did that, they would lay hands on me. And so I didn't, I didn't do that. And so finally, it's halftime, and, and I go to my spot. I'm excited, but I'm also nervous. And there's a security guard that takes us to where we're supposed to go. And I'm there, and my friend is there, and the security guard is there, and she ain't there. And so I'm waiting. And I'm waiting. And so I send her a message or seven, and I say, hey, where are you? And finally, she shows up. So she shows up, the security guard knew her, she walks on, and I walk behind her, and the security guard said, wait, <laughs> where are you going? And I said, well, I'm going to the locker room. He said, no, you're not. I said, yeah. I looked at him, he looked at me. I looked at my friend, she looked at me. I looked at the guy. Now, we're now best friends. And I said, well, I'm with her. He said, oh, you're with her. Well, then come on in. <laughs> and so there I entered into the holy of holies. I mean, I've got a video. I want to prove it to you. I don't want you to think I'm lying. So there's a video. 
Come on in there, guys. There, do you see the glow? There's a kind of glory. It's a place where angels fear to dread or tread. But there they are. There it is. I was there because of her. One day, you and I are going to die. And one day, you and I are going to stand before God. And God's going to ask me and you, why should I let you into heaven? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to look to Jesus. Jesus is going to look to me. And I'm going to say, I'm with him. And I'm going to hear, enter into the joy of the Lord. Not because of who I am, but because of who's with me. And that's what Christmas is about. I don't have access on my own. I have access because Jesus died to give me access. Because he came and lived a perfect life, died on the cross and rose from the dead. So here's my question to you as we end this message. When you die and you stand before God, because you're going to die. And God asks you, why should I let you in to heaven? What's your answer going to be? Is it going to be I was a good person? Was it going to be because I went to church, I prayed to a priest, because I gave some money, because I was a good mom, a good dad, because I didn't do this, I didn't do that, because I was had this degree or that degree? Because I'll tell you that if you give any answer like that, it won't be enough. The only answer that gets you in is that I'm with him because he's with me. The only answer that'll work is that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. I asked him to forgive me of my sins and I surrendered my life to him. And when I did, he entered into my life and now I am his forever. It's the only way you're in. So the last service, I asked that question and then I gave an opportunity. And I wanna give you that opportunity that if you've never trusted Christ as your savior, today could be that day. Seven people in our last service said, I give my life to Jesus and I wanna give that to you today. So would you just bow your heads Close your eyes. If you're here today and you say, I've never really given my life to Jesus. I'm not really sure I'm going to heaven. I've never given him my life. I wanna give you this opportunity right now to trust him as your savior. I'm gonna pray a prayer and while I'm praying, it's not my prayer that saves you. It's not my words that save you. It's your prayer and ultimately your faith in Jesus that saves you. And so would you pray a prayer with me? And if you're here and you've trusted Christ already, you don't have to pray this prayer, but pray for those in this room or pray for those watching online or pray for those who will listen to this podcast later. And if you're here and you've never trusted, today would you pray? Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I have done so many things my own way and I feel really bad. But I believe Jesus is God. I believe that he died on the cross. I believe that he rose from the dead 
And I ask you, Jesus, that you would forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you. I ask that you help me to live for you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for those in this room who trusted you as their Savior, that you'd give them the courage to make it known, that you'd give them the this courage to share it with others. And God, that you would help them to live with you and live for you all the days of their life. In Jesus' name. Now, every head bowed, every eyes closed. I don't want to embarrass you. No one's looking around. But I just want to pray for you. And I want to ask you to do something courageous. If you just a moment ago prayed for the first time to ask Jesus to save you, would you just raise your hand as high as you can? I see it. I see your hands. I see your hands. Praise God. Let's give, a, let's give a Lord, Lord a round of applause for those three or four people's hands that I saw. Father, in Jesus' name, give them the strength to make it known, to share your love with others. In your name we pray, amen. Let's all stand and sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Thank you for joining us as we go through God's word together. I pray again that God will transform you from the inside out. So as we say here at first, you have come to church, go out and be the church, have a great week of worship. We can't wait to see you soon.